0: Would you open God's precious holy word to Galatians and we continue in Galatians chapter one and we start today in verse 10. I don't have a particular outline. I'm just going to stay with the text and bring out the points uh, that I think are pertinent for us in our Christian lives today. Paul, in this extensive context that we will see for at least two or three weeks, God willing, is, is giving a defense of his apostleship. I know that there have been Legalists who have tried to tie Christianity to Judaism, and this is something that has uh, plagued the church or attacked the church since the church came into being. I spoke with a some time back, I, as a matter of fact, I've spoken to more than one Jewish person who, who doesn't have anything, at least in my presence, that bad to say about the New Testament. But more than one, on more than one occasion, I have noted that uh, thoughtful, religious Jews with whom I have talked, and this goes back decades. But there's one thing that uh, seems to run common in uh, Jewish thought among those who are religious Jews. Namely, this. And there have been scholarly works and papers and research done on this Jews can go along a certain path so far with the philosophy or whatever of Christianity to a point that they could see how it was a sect of Judaism, but then. The Gentile world became flooded with the belief in the Jewish Messiah, but seeing him as well as the Savior. And all of these, and I say all of these, sounds like there were several, probably three or four of them through the years with whom I've spoken, would go back to the fact that. There just were no Gentiles, really, uh, in, in the early sect of Christianity until the Apostle Paul came along. Now, when I look at the gospel accounts, I, of course, and I it's not my life's work to get into an endless, useless debate with people you know, here's where I stand and you're probably not going to see it my way and I'm sure not going to see it your way. But that said, I would beg to differ insofar as indeed Christ is seen appealing to Gentiles in the gospel accounts. The point is, Judaizers in Jerusalem, who to some extent became some sort of believer believers in Christ, could not accept the work of the Apostle Paul. They did not see him as one of the original twelve, and the original twelve were there in Jerusalem, and so this was a Jewish thing. And then the Apostle Paul. Was being so successful in his ministry by the grace of God through the work of the power of the Holy Spirit in appealing to Gentiles after his gospel message fell on deaf ears to the Jews wherever he went. So from time to time, these Judaizers would question the apostleship of Paul. Now, the questions would probably go something like this Where did he get this message? This message that you're saved by grace through faith plus nothing. This message that you don't have to attend to the traditions of Moses. Uh, this, this message that you can waltz outside Judaism and beyond the Jewish world and go to the Gentile world and to pagans and offer them a life of salvation in the Jewish Messiah. How, where does he get this? Did he get it from the 12 apostles? Did he get it here? Did he get it there? Did he make it up? He has become a man pleaser. That was their argument. He's not interested in pleasing God, for if he was interested in pleasing God, he would first bring to them the importance of coming under the law and then through the law come to Christ. Well, you know, that's, that's crazy because Christ fulfills the law and for us is our righteousness under the law So, so we are free from all of that in Christ. Now, they were having, to to review a little bit, they were having some degree of success in Galatia, among the churches in Galatia. So, we saw the initial response, and Paul double-cursed those who brought another gospel. And he said, actually, there is no other gospel, but those who are bringing this message to you, he He double cursed them in in those first verses that we saw in our study in, in Galatians. Now he continues in this responding to the accusation that he seeks the approval of men. To be a man pleaser is another thing that has always plagued the ministry I suppose today we can think of, of so-called preachers who are bringing some kind of other gospel that is, 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 is man-pleasing in so many ways. The argument from the Judaizers was that Paul sought the approval of men and he was not interesting in the approval of God. Now, why would they say that? Well, they would say that because something that Judaizers could not have understood, most of them. Now, the apostles understood it, and we see that in the rest of their writings in the New Testament and in the book of Acts as well. what What they couldn't understand was how a man like Paul could go into a city, an important city, and there with the gospel message that he preached find hundreds, maybe thousands of people who somehow were primed and ready for this message. And they came in, in faith to be saved. They're all Jesus. They just walked away from their pagan lives which cost them something. I've discussed in the past about how in that world, in that day, whatever craft you practiced, whatever was your work, you belonged to a sort of a labor union that was directly tied to a temple of a god or a goddess. And that's where you worshiped, and that's where you had your membership, and that's where people came seeking the kind of work that you would do. So if you weren't there, you didn't get any work early Christians walked away from that. And that's why we see so many accounts of how Christians were impoverished and they were mistreated and they were ostracized by the, by the community in which they live because they, they left paganism, which to the pagan was important and came to Christ and they were doing it in multitudes. And so there were there were great churches being established around and the gospel message was spreading out from those, from those churches. Judaizers are saying this is, just, this, is, this is just seeking the approval of men and not God. So that brings us to verse 10. For do I presently seek approval of men or God? Or do I seek to please men? In a way, he has already answered this because he has double-cursed the people who call him a man-pleaser. And if he was a man-pleaser, he, he would be trying to appease those guys. But rather than trying to appease them, he double-cursed them. That's not being a man-pleaser in, in my view. For if I were pleasing men, I would not be a slave or a servant of Christ. For I make known to you, brothers, the gospel having been preached by me, that it is not according to man. Now here's the important point. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but by a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now this is one of the primary signs of apostleship. That Christ himself directly gave to you the gospel. Christ himself From his lips, in the days of his earthly ministry, he taught his 12 apostles. From his lips, in a resurrected state, in the day after Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit had come into the church, the apostle Paul, by vision and miracle, and by the very appearance of Christ who will appear to Paul about five more times after the Road to Damascus event, would receive directly from Christ the gospel message. So this put him on the same level of all of the other apostles. No man taught this to me. No man came and spoke to me about this. This was a revelation that came, a manifestation of Jesus Christ himself. And it is a magnificent message. I don't know how somebody could make this up because man-made stuff always wants to put a lot of rules on the gospel, a lot of, a, a lot of behavioral rules and uh, extra-biblical rules that, that such a person who founds and discovers such a religion believes is important to the salvation or whatever of a person. And it's a kind of a power game to have power over people. But, but Paul brings, Paul, Paul doesn't give anything that causes them to be connected to him. He doesn't expect them to have to come through him to do anything. He just brings the gospel message. The church, the church is planted from time to time, occasionally he would help the church establish leadership within the church and he'd go on to the next place. It, it wasn't, I'll tell you this, in, 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 the, in, the, in my seminary days, I know we, we, we studied uh, Baptist history, for example. And the early, the early Christians who were later called Baptists hundreds of years later, but the early Christians by the established church early in church history were called Paulinsians preaching a simple gospel of Christ. You are, you are justified. You are justified by grace through faith in Christ plus Nothing. And it is all to the glory of God. That's a simple gospel message. We trust and believe. Exalting Christ. Brings to the fruition. The declaration that Christ made. When he said if I'm lifted up. I'll draw men to myself. The great great beauty is that. The power of the gospel message. And of salvation. Requires no human assistance, essentially. God is, I said it, God is uh, the, the God is self-sufficient. God doesn't need my help. God, God, by grace, permits me to do things along the way so that I can happily watch what God does and kind of feel like I'm a part of it. But God doesn't need me to accomplish these things. Christ does these things by His own power. This is the gospel of Christ. We preach Christ and Him crucified. We don't, we don't preach, well, first you have to do this, and then you have to do this, and then you have to jump through a few hoops, and then you have to go before a council and ask and answer a lot of questions, and at that point, Uh, you'll get before the bishop and then the bishop will say yes or no and either consign you to heaven or hell. We don't do that, of course. It's just a simple gospel message and it all centers upon Christ. This is what Paul did. Paul gave to us most of the New Testament. There are people today who despise the teachings of the Apostle Paul in the church. For example, Paul, Paul taught about sexuality. Paul taught... In the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul taught about uh, marriage and marriage behavior and husbands and wives and mothers and fathers and children. He taught those things in his letters. And because what he taught under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, establishing or reinforcing the rules that already existed with regard to the institution of marriage that God himself instituted and created, and Paul then further teaches about it, there are people in the modern culture today who despise, and I've talked to them. They claim to be Christians, but they say, oh, well, I don't accept what Paul says there. That's just not relevant to today. That's, uh, you know, this is, this, is, uh, this is some sort of ultra-liberal uh, theology. And so, so look, you know, look where it's got us in the world today. They reject a lot of what Paul taught because they say it was something that he had to say to his generation and to his culture. But this is a different generation and this is a different culture. Here's the point. People still despise the teachings of the Apostle Paul. They would also have to despise then the teachings of Christ who also taught on marriage. Now, the Apostle Paul says I wouldn't be a slave of Christ. Why would I be running at my own expense all over Asia Minor and into Europe? Why would I be doing this except other than I'm a slave of Christ? I'm a slave of Christ. Now, later on, he'll, he'll talk about and the, 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 the marks on his back, how he was whipped. That doesn't sound like, hey, I'm go- I want to please you guys and in pleasing you, I want you to just have a lot of fun and have a big time. Here's my back. Just whack the mess out of me and rip my flesh off of my bones. That'll just make you feel good, and that's what I'm here about. Well, how can you be a man pleaser? That That's that's not his job, and he, he makes the defense all the way through this. And this is important because... Because the gospel, there's only one gospel. There's only one, there's not another. There's not a half gospel. There's not a gospel and a half. There is one gospel justified by grace through faith in Christ plus nothing to the glory of God. Now, you can't add to that. You can't take away from it. That's what it is. Christ has done everything. The central message of the gospel is Christ and him crucified. We are depraved, lost, undone sinners and we are without hope unless and except God in Christ intervenes for us and takes the penalty that was ours and dies the death that was ours and gives to us the life and righteousness that is his so that the resurrection is already a done deal for me because of Christ. Not because of what I've done or what I did to come to Christ or what I've done after coming to Christ, but because of Christ and nothing else. So this is the gospel that Paul preaches. And he says, this came to me by revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former way of life. Now, Paul. Makes a twofold appeal to his former life, and he says, "How am I going to be a man pleaser if you just consider my former way of life? Which, by the way, was a very uh, a very well known thing in the in the minds of Christians. They knew what kind of guy Saul of Tarsus was to the church. Here's what he says: You've heard of my former way of life in Judaism. I was there where those guys were." Until Christ came to me. I was in Judaism and I was there beyond exceeding measure. He makes this twofold appeal. Number one, I was persecuting the church of God and destroying it. He had letters of arrest. He was empowered by the high priest to do in in Damascus whatever he wanted to do when he came to the church there. You all know I was persecuting the church. I hated the church. I was a fanatic. I was a bigot. I was everything that is that can be wrong with a man. And I was bent on destroying the church of God and persecuting those who resisted. That's his first statement of reference. Then secondly, not only that, I was a big deal. I had had the respect of all of the Jews and Judaizers and Pharisees, all the way up to the high priest. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many contemporaries in my countrymen or, or among my countrymen, being more abundantly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. Now, this is the point he makes here. What I was advancing in was not the scriptures. It was the traditions that had been handed down by the fathers. And the Pharisees and others in Judaism thought it was their call to defend the traditions even more fiercely than they defended the Word of God itself. And Paul says, I was right there with them. I knew it all. I had studied it. I had studied it in the best school that was available in Jerusalem. I sat at the feet of Gamaliel I, I accomplished many things as a Judaizer in Judaism, and I soared past my contemporaries. Man, I was I was the valedictorian of everything you could think of. I was number one, I was the blue ribbon winner, I had it all. And they all were behind me and beneath me and under me because of my zeal of the traditions of my father. Not just zeal, abundant zeal. This consumed the life of Saul of Tarsus, even to the point that he would kill people who were Jews and denied the traditions of the fathers in becoming Christian. And so it was his job to stamp out the church in its early days. This was his job. So this is his testimony. This is where I was before I was converted to Christ on the road to Damascus. This is the kind of man I was. I could have kept on in that. I was a man pleaser there. I wasn't getting whipped and beaten and threatened everywhere I went. In those days, but this is the big point that I want to make. Here's a lost man doing what lost men do, pursuing in zeal his own will. He's dead in sin. He doesn't know it. He thinks he's doing good things that are actually bad things. They're not just bad things. They're hellish things. They are are of the devil to destroy the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He He was lost. He was in darkness. He didn't know until but when God He doesn't say, but when I, no. He couldn't have known anything about the salvation that is in Christ until God was pleased to reveal it to him. This is his his testimony. And frankly, this is the testimony of everyone who is ever saved. Before I'm ever saved, it has to please God to save me. I've heard it through the years. I'll come to the Lord and I'll be saved in the by and by when I'm ready and pleased. No, you'll come when it pleases God or you won't come at all. But when God was pleased, nothing, nothing on earth could have happened to Paul, Saul of Tarsus, until God was pleased to do it. But when God was pleased, that's number one, by the pleasure of God. Number two, by the election of God. Look at it. The one having selected me, I didn't choose Christ, Christ chose me. I was stirred, I was moved. Having selected me from my mother's womb. He lived all of those years in Judaism not realizing that the Holy Spirit of God had empowered him from the moment of conception to become the Apostle Paul. Now, we're not apostles, but if God has called us into his salvation, then, in a way that we'll spend eternity studying and learning about, from before the foundation of the world, God had given to us a, as a gift to His Son. And then, in the course of time, what God had determined in eternity works itself out in time, and in time, even at the moment of conception. So everything I couldn't have known this. I know my I ran from being a preacher for years. I couldn't have known and I, and even once I was once I came to Christ, I couldn't have it it's taken me a lot of bible study to realize the almighty sovereign power of God over my life and over your life. You can deny it, but so what? It's not true. Look at what Paul says. He chose me from my mother's womb. Everything about me was in me when I was conceived. Then what happened? When it pleased God, by grace God called him. I know as children, those of us who were saved as children, we we think of, of what we did. But as we mature in the faith, we become so humbled and thankful that it was nothing that I did. It is the effectual call of God. Nothing in this world could stop me from being joined to Christ by faith. Why? But when God was pleased, Having called me by his grace. Not because he was impressed with me. Not because I was going to be a good catch. And he was. (laughs) But because of his grace. Then he revealed his son in me. Now how does he do that? Well first of all he reveals yourself to you. I'm a worm. I'm, I'm lost, undone, awful, terrible, bad thoughts. I'm depraved. I'm of a fallen race. There's no good thing in me. There is no one who does any kind of righteousness, not a single person, Paul says. This is who we are. We're dead in trespass and sin. We're lost. How did I know that? Because having revealed myself to me, he revealed his son in me. There is a righteousness that can be mine. There is a life, a holiness that can be mine. It is given to me by grace. It is that which comes from the son of God. He revealed his son in me. And then the next thing happened. I used to know a preacher. He was once the president of the Southern Baptist Convention. And sometimes he would look at me and he'd say, you know, what?" he would preach revivals for me. He would say, you know what we're going to do, Charles? No, we're going to do the next thing. (laughs) Well, this is the next thing. Saved unto good works. In the case of Paul. It was to be the apostle to the Gentiles. There was only one of those guys. It's like John the Baptist. There was only one John the Baptist, one forerunner of Christ. There was only one designated apostle to the Gentiles. Paul didn't realize it, but for all of those years in his life, God was preparing him for this. Even when he was a boy learning how to make tents, He would carry his sewing kit and his canvas stuff, whatever they make it out of. Or he could buy from suppliers who were local and he could support himself because people who traveled, traveled with tents and they had things made of some kind of canvas, whatever it was in those days. Whoever sailed a boat would have repairs that needed to be made or maybe they wanted to buy a new set of sails or a new tent. And so Paul could always set up business wherever he went. And could support himself and preach the gospel. He didn't realize it. But even in his early days as a child and a young man. God was preparing him for this life. And then he learned as much about the Old Testament. As a person could learn in Judaism. And then when the Holy Spirit of God came into his life. He had the wherewithal spiritually to realize. That the traditions of men do not measure up. To the blessed holy word of God. And so he was intellectually armed at that point. Once he was saved. To be able to even show Christ in the Old Testament. So now all of his life. Had brought him to the moment when God was pleased. That I might preach him among the Gentiles. Immediately I consulted not with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to the apostles before me. Who, those who were apostles before I was. But I went away into Arabia. And returned again to Damascus. He was as one preacher, old preacher I used to hear. Paul was in the seminary of the Holy Ghost for three years. Just him and the Holy Spirit of God, and the Old Testament scriptures, and maybe an early writing. He appreciated Mark so much at the end of his life. Maybe he had a gospel according to Mark. I don't know. But whatever, he, we know he had parchments because he asked for them to be brought to him when he was in his jail cell right before he was killed. So he probably had his collection which would have included the Old Testament. Maybe at that point in time, maybe a gospel account or something. Maybe, which was the earliest writing of the New Testament, the letter of James, the epistle of James, who knows. But he didn't consult with anybody. He didn't go to the apostles. Paul, an extremely intelligent man, Knowing something about almighty God said to himself, if this is of God, I don't need anybody else. God can do for me what I need done. I don't need anybody to teach me. God can be my teacher. And that's where he went. He went away into Arabia. I guess, I guess a desert. I don't know. Arabia. And then he returned again to Damascus. People don't realize how many years passed before the apostle Paul really became an effective preacher. Years passed. He was in a time of preparation, then he was in a time of disappointment. People ran from him when he showed up again, scared of him. Didn't some, a lot of people didn't believe him. This can't be true. He's tricking us. He's herding us into a corral where he's going to, he's going to shoot us one at a time, like, like fishing a barrel or something. That's how they thought about him. But all of those years he was growing in the knowledge of Christ, in the gospel of Christ. The relevance of Christ to the Old Testament scriptures. To the power of the Holy Spirit. to The power of the gospel message. Three years. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem from Damascus. To make acquaintance with Kephas, that's Peter. And I remained with him for 15 days. Would you like to have been a fly on the wall? To have heard the conversations between Peter and Paul. However, I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I write to you now, behold, before God... I do not lie. I suppose the apostle Paul comes to Peter. Tells him of his experience. And I'm going to go into all this world. I'm going to preach this gospel. And I have been charged as an apostle. Of the Gentiles. And it's obvious that. Peter made no no objections. As a matter of fact, Peter defended him in Acts chapter 15. Peter said to the council in in Acts chapter 15, when people were making a case among the Judaizers that you first had to come under the rituals of Judaism before you could become a Christian, Peter stood up and he said, to summarize and paraphrase, he said, that's not how I saw it. Directly commissioned from none other than the Lord himself. I went forth. And I saw that the Samaritan received Christ just like we did. The same signs and wonders that accompanied our salvation on the day of Pentecost came to them. And then I saw it to the Gentile as well. When I was led by the Spirit to speak to the centurion. And I saw that they, with same signs and wonders, and it was there confirmed to me that now the Holy Spirit of God and the gospel message of Christ had fallen upon everybody and not just the Jew. And so he stood in defense of Paul and the work of Paul in Acts chapter 15. And so Paul says, look, before God, I'm not lying to you. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Nobody knew me by face to the churches uh, that are in Christ. I was unknown by face to, face to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. However, they were only hearing that, quote, the one formerly persecuting us now is preaching the faith which he was once destroying. And they... We're glorifying God in me. You can see how Paul was used by God to further exalt God, to even more greatly glorify God that such a man as Paul, such a man as Saul of Tarsus, as wicked and evil, the chief of sinners, could be called by God and could be so miraculously saved out of the life he was in into the life that became his in Christ. The defense of of Paul, his defense of his apostleship says a lot to us as well. The power of God to save. (laughs) The only person who can't be saved is the person who dies without Christ. The only person who can't be saved is the person whom God will not call to himself. If someone senses the call of God in Christ, that's not a flesh and blood. I know when they acknowledge Christ in Matthew's gospel as the Messiah, Christ said to his disciples, Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. This is not something that comes out of the heart of a man. This is from my father who is in heaven to realize that Christ is our savior, that we're in need. You know, the natural man will defend himself. Oh, I don't, I don't need a savior. I'm good. If that guy's a Christian, the woods is full of them, right? If he's saved, I'm certainly saved. I've, I've done more than he has The problem with that is the righteousness of man is always changing. Things are, there are certain behaviors that are good today that were evil 25, 30 years ago. There are things that are evil today that were considered good and proper 50, 100 years ago. The standard of righteousness in a man's mind is always changing But in the word of God and according to God, the standard of righteousness in the word of God never changes. And we need an anchor. We need a rock, a solid rock who will save us. And we need someone who will cover us with his absolute perfection and righteousness. So that when God the father looks at us, it's as though he's looking at his own son. So we come to Christ by faith. We're justified by grace. There's no other way. We can't work to get it. We can't work to keep it. Justified by grace through faith in Christ plus nothing. To the glory of God, not to the glory of man. All right. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening today. Let's pray and we'll be through. God in heaven lord we thank you for the gospel the gospel that saved my soul the simple gospel we thank you lord that you've called us into the work of telling others and preaching and proclaiming this simple gospel so i pray o oh god that as the world emerges From what we have been through in these past weeks, that your church will be emboldened even more than ever before, and that your church will be pruned, and then that those will be added to whom you would bring in, that we might, in these last days, in what possibly and hopefully will be the third and maybe final great awakening in the Christian era, before our Lord comes for us, that you would lead us and give us the strength and the open door in these final days to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so use it all for your glory, Lord, and help us and keep us as we walk, as we seek to walk humbly before you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you.